What's up, guys? This is the Hazelcast. I am your host, Eric Franks, and sitting across from me is Jillian Yatsko. She is the president and founder of the Hazel Foundation for Athletics. How's it going? It's going pretty good. Awesome. So this is going to be our first episode, guys. We want to talk to you guys about what the foundation is and kind of what the goals are going to be uh, moving forward into the future. So Jillian, tell us a little bit about what the Hazel Foundation is and how it got started and a little bit about the history of it. So the Hazel Foundation is kind of the culmination of every experience that our board members have had within sport. And we came together to create this foundation to support the inclusion of all athletes in sports, whether that's kids with disabilities or veterans or non-traditional age athletes. Um, We just want to make sure that everyone who wants access to sports and recreation has access. And I think there's a big kind of difference between sport and recreation that is important to note because I think when we deal with these you know, initiatives. We see a lot of people who are like, oh, I don't play sports. I don't play baseball or soccer. Like, but then you hear that they, you know, do yoga or they are into skiing or hiking. And, you know, I want this foundation to include all those things. And so whether it's a traditional sport or just activity, like we are here for it. Are you focusing more on, I guess, what you would call extreme sports or um, alternative sports? Not necessarily. I think, you know, the foundation first and foremost has roots in adaptive climbing. So when I started at Mesa Rim in 2013, I started the first West Coast adaptive climbing program. And for anyone who doesn't know, adaptive climbing is for kids and adults with disabilities, whether it's a physical disability or a cognitive or developmental disability, it provides access to climbing for them. Um, but my roots as a, my own individual self goes back to dance and growing up as a ballet dancer and doing track and field and gymnastics and all this different stuff. When you were dancing and involved in ballet, did you ever meet anybody with a disability that was involved in that sport? No, which is crazy because I danced for like my whole childhood and, you know, I did dance in New York City and I did like the summer Rockette intensives with the Radio City Rockettes which is a huge dance group and through all those years and all those competitions and traveling and everything I don't think I ever met a dancer with a disability and I mean I competed at dance nationals like multiple years where dancers from all over the country come and I never saw a dancer with a disability which is interesting because now I go on Instagram And there's dancers with one leg and there's dancers in wheelchairs and all this crazy stuff, which just shows how social media has such a big influence on inclusion because now it's everywhere. It's cool to see that people with disabilities are involved in many different unique sports. Yeah. And it's, it's interesting growing up because, you know, I'm from a really small town, so I didn't really have exposure to a lot of any kind of minority, whether it was people with disabilities or people of color or, you know, any part of like the LGBTQIA plus community. Um, and so I met my first adaptive climber in 2013 when I started my adaptive program and I made it to 19 years old without ever meeting someone with a disability, which blows my mind. But he came in, his name was Trent Smith and he's the namesake for our foundation's Trent Smith grant. Uh, And he came in, he was involved in a car accident his senior year of high school. 
he, I think it was also his last day. I might be wrong, but senior year of high school, he's driving to school, pulls over to the side of the road to get something out of his trunk or check if he had something and was hit by a woman who like drove into him and he lost one of his legs and then the other leg he had to get the calf muscle amputated and so they tried to graft abdominal muscle to the calf but the muscle transplant rejected so he ended up losing like half of his abdominal muscle and then that graft so he was the first person who signed up and I just remember being like so do you want a climbing shoe for that uh, that foot uh, and just being like so uncomfortable about it like <laughs> and this guy's like you know Trent's super patient like kind and sweet but he was like Jesus Christ you're running an adaptive program and you can't even ask me if I want a shoe so it's just interesting to see how far it's come both within climbing, myself, this foundation, like just seeing where we started and where we are today. Yeah. The other thing that uh, I find interesting is, you know, someone like Trent who uh, had an accident has this enormous amount of adjustment, you know, an adjustment period that he has to go through to figure out how to make things work again, you know, but then there's the other side of things where some people are just born with disabilities and it's normal for them. Yeah, and it's, it's interesting to see how people approach it, too, because if you're born with a disability, you've adapted to all these different ways to live your life, you know, depending on what your disability is. But then you see them come into something like climbing, which is just so different from anything anyone does in their day-to-day life. And it's cool because there's almost nothing that separates them from, you know, quote-unquote, an able-bodied person, because everyone's kind of trying to figure out this foreign movement and coordination and system and so it's I feel like climbing is it really levels the playing field because it's just so different from anything else so you recently had your first major introduction into adaptive climbing I mean you've seen it at Mesa Rim here and there but just recently we helped Paradox Sports in the North Face host one of their adaptive climbing initiatives events in Sacramento San Francisco (laughs) Um, and that was like a head first dive deep into adaptive climbing. What'd you think of it? Yeah. So the most interesting thing that I saw was the progression from, you know, gym staff members that were going in and to the classroom session and, you know, they're kind of pensive and super nervous about the whole thing. And then at the end of it, when you're doing the community day and you actually have people with disabilities come in and climb, having those people interact with them, it was just like night and day. Yeah, you kind of see people go from this sense of unknowing terminology and how to approach someone and talk about disabilities to someone who's like, hey, you're just a climber. Like, come on in and climb. Oh, you're in a wheelchair? That's fine. Like, oh, you have one hand? That's cool, too. (laughs) And you just get to see the comfort level rise so much. But I feel like your experience with seeing how people transition from a sense of discomfort to a sense of, you know, openness is points to the fact of, you know, why should people who aren't even involved in adaptive sports care about what we're doing and care about things like the adaptive climbing initiative and, you know, inclusion in sports. And when you think about it, it teaches more than just how to get someone out of a wheelchair and onto a climbing wall. It teaches you how to be empathetic and how to see people who are different from you 
as people first and, you know, whatever their disability is somewhere down the line of identifiers. And at a time where, you know, our country seems to discriminate against people for every kind of reason, like it can teach you how to view people as just people. Yeah. You know, what was really cool was um, Tanner. So Tanner came in, he's, he is paralyzed from the waist down, I believe. And the thing that most people don't know and is super interesting to me is that he uses the same harness, the same belay device as any other able-bodied person that climbs at the gym. And the funny thing was he didn't even know that he was able to belay. So he came in with his girlfriend and he said, well, I don't think that I'm allowed to belay. It was, Why can't you belay? Can you take the test? And he says, yeah, I think so. And he took the test and now I think they're climbing all the time, aren't they? Yeah. When we asked him about belaying, he said, he was like, oh, the manager of my home gym told me that I would need to like strap myself into my wheelchair and tie my wheelchair down. And even then it wouldn't work. And I mean, if you know anything about a climber's weight to a belayer's weight difference, like, I mean, that's just the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard. Like you're going to tie a wheelchair down (laughs) in a climbing gym. And I don't know. It's just, it's so interesting to see. I mean, it's great that gyms want adaptive climbers in, and it's great to see that they're, you know, being open, but then you come across these experiences where it's just such a sense of disconnect from anything beyond the able-bodied person who's in their mid twenties or thirties. And I don't know, it's just crazy. Yeah. And I think that the, it's kind of our job to be advocates, to, to inform people that they can come in and do these things and they can, you know, experience that kind of stuff. Yeah. I think the more exposure people get to adaptive climbing and people who might live differently from them is it's going to enrich your business. It's going to enrich your climbing community. And, you know, it's cool. So in March of this year, the Hazel Foundation is going to be hosting the first ever adaptive climbing representation at the Flash Foxy Women's Climbing Festival. And if you guys are unfamiliar with it, it's this climbing festival. It happens in Bishop and Chattanooga, Tennessee every year. And their big thing is just creating space for women to get involved in sports. And so they've been doing that for a couple of years now, I think four or five. It's pretty recent, actually. But their whole intention is to give women a space to climb with other women, learn from other women, um, hear from people who work in the outdoor industry as guides or companies, things like that. So we're going to be doing the first ever all-female adaptive climbing clinic at Flash Foxy. Does that mean I can't go? <laughs> I think you still can, but you might be pretty outnumbered, which maybe you'd be into. I don't know. Maybe. <laughs> so, you know, it's it's so cool to see the climbing industry coming along and saying like, Hey, everyone's a climber if you want to climb. But it's also interesting because we recently had a fundraiser at Maserim for the foundation. And this woman walks up to the table and she says, Oh, I'm involved in athletic sports. Like I was an athletic or uh, an adaptive ski instructor up in big bear. And I was like, Oh cool. How long has that been going on for? And she's like, Oh, I, I did it 25 years ago, like blah, blah, blah. I was like, what? Like, (laughs) you know, the ski industry has had adaptive skiing as part of their regular programming for decades. Like it's just always been an industry standard that if you have a ski resort, you have adaptive skiing. So 
although very many years behind, the climbing industry is really starting to catch up and there's more gyms than ever offering adaptive programming or, you know, at least one staff person who's trained in it. And the Climbing Wall Association is hosting adaptive climbing seminars and adaptive climbing training. And there's just so many resources out there now in climbing and it's just super neat. And to me as a skier, so I was, I grew up skiing and I was on my high school ski team, which really just means that, you know, I got a free season pass and would go ski with my friends. But skiing was always a big part of my upbringing. And to think even as an experienced adaptive climbing coach, the idea of throwing someone with a disability down a mountain on a ski terrifies me. And I think that that's way more challenging and way more frightening, but you know, it's all just comes to like learning and having someone teach you how it works and being open-minded to people's abilities. And so if you just get some involvement in it, it, it just makes all the more sense. Yeah. It reminds me of our buddy, Jeremy McGee. Shout out, Jeremy. <laughs> Jeremy's a, uh, adaptive skier. He's an adaptive surfer. Um, the guy rips on a kayak. That's basically strapped into it i don't know how he flips himself over when he when he turns over it's kind of scary to me but anyways so let's talk about uh let's talk about some of the board members involved with the foundation let's do it so you are the founder yes so i am acting president and founder um i really conceptualized the idea for this foundation way back in high school because you know i grew up with just a you know, I suffered from depression when I was in high school. I had a father who suffered from mental illness. And so there was just a lot going on. Um, I had a wonderful family, my mom and my brother, but just a lot, you know, going through stuff. And I always used dance and track and gymnastics and all these sports and recreation things I did to find my sense of well-balance. And so I first remember thinking about doing something like this way back then and realizing how important it is to have people included in sports and outdoor recreation and things like that. So this is kind of my childhood come to fruition. And then we have you, who's our director of marketing. Yeah. So my background is mostly in website development, graphic design, uh, video work, social media work. And I've been working with a lot of nonprofits in many different industries for a long time, getting the message out and setting up their websites and making sure all of the information they're putting out is on social media and doing a little bit of video work. But I'm super excited to be helping with this project because it hits home for me. You know, climbing is a big passion of mine. And I also really enjoy helping people with my skill set. So that's a big draw for me for this. What's your vision for like the image of the Hazel Foundation? Like, what do you see it representing visually? Or I think my vision for this foundation is to use it as a tool to spread awareness and create positive and impactful change amongst the athletic community. You know, I'm new to adaptive athletics and this world, and I'm still learning a ton. And I think if we can use this as a tool to teach people to treat others with compassion and equality, I think we're taking a step in the right direction. So yeah, who else do we have? We also have Christina Erickson, who is our East Coast grant writer, and she, although not an adaptive climber, has been involved in the adaptive climbing scene for years and years, and she is part of the U.S. team when we travel abroad for competitions, and she helps out at nationals. She helps out with uh, an adaptive program in New York, and 
she's just all around this cool chick and she crushes and she loves the outdoors and she's just a ball of positivity. So she's on board as our grant writer, fundraiser, source of inspiration, stoke. And then we have Joan Yatsko, who is my mom. And she, you know, raised me as a hands-on parent to do everything physical that I could. Cause I was just a ball of <laughs> nuclear energy. And so, you know, she was at every dance recital, every track meet she could, you know, standing in the rain and watching me try and high jump <laughs> with my little giraffe legs. <laughs> um, so she's a huge proponent of getting kids involved in something. And then we have Helen Crenshaw, who I actually met when I started coaching both of her daughters in the adaptive program. They both have cerebral palsy. And Helen's been involved in the children's hospital here, and she's involved in the Parent Teacher Association. And, you know, she's worked in all different kinds of nonprofit work, and she's seen what her daughters have benefited from climbing. And so she's also a huge proponent of sports for kids. So, how do you think sports shape human development? Well, you know, I think they play a huge role in how we develop into adults, especially if you get involved in sports from a young age, you know, for a lot of kids, that's kind of where they hit their first big challenges that are self-driven. You know, you put a kid in school and you make them sit for seven hours and that's challenging. And then you give them homework to do and that's challenging. And then you test them and then you, you know, analyze them and all this, this stuff that you're doing to them. But Sports is the first time they ever self-initiate challenge and resistance. And so how that kid is guided and mentored through a sport will shape how they view something that's challenging and how they view self-investment in their passions. And, you know, it is going to change how they look at struggles. And so if you get them involved in sports from a young age, they'll start to see like, hey, this is challenging, but I'm passionate about it. So I'm going to keep doing it. And Eventually, you know, I think back, there was a day I remember so vividly in dance when, you know, I loved dance growing up. It was like my main thing. And there was a day I was practicing a, a routine for a solo I had and I just kept blowing it on this turn sequence and like over and over. And my ballet teacher's like, what are you doing? I was like, I don't know. And I just sat down and I, I think I cried like underneath the bar <laughs> for like 20 minutes, but, and then I got over it. And so my sport career was kind of just like that over and over, like hitting these walls of challenges and deciding that I'm going to keep going because I love this. And so if you can give your child an opportunity to build passion and build resilience, like I think sports is one of the best ways to do it. And it's interesting because San Diego has a huge pediatric autism community. Um, we, ha I mean, we have a massive children's hospitals. There's a lot of medical research here. And so they, it draws kids from all over the country who are on the autism spectrum. And so we've seen a lot of them come through our climbing program. And those kids already have a lot of challenges. You know, their life is challenging. And so when you introduce kids with autism into a sport and you start teaching them like, hey, challenges are good. Challenges are here to teach you how to be resilient and how to care about yourself. And, you know, today alone, right before this, I was coaching a kid who is 11. Um, he has autism. He's high functioning. He's very verbal. He's very silly. He, you know, is just wonderful. Um, but this is his first sport and he's 11. So he's a little bit older than the starting age for a lot of kids. And, you know, he was slowly progressing through the grades and at the beginning it was very easy. And 
you know, it started to get a little bit challenging. And then all of a sudden we had him on five, nine, which in climbing is a grade. It's pretty moderate. It's hard for people. Um, and we're like, Hey, this is new. It's going to be challenging. And he just had a meltdown on the wall and he was kicking the wall and he was kind of like dry crying as I call it when you like have all the emotions, but there's no tears yet. Cause you're just mad. And he came down he's like, I'm such a failure. Like I can't do this. I can't climb five, nine. Like I'll never be a good climber. And was just like spiraling down this funnel of negativity. And I was like, hey, like these challenges are good. Like the whole point of sports is to challenge yourself. And he's, he's like, no, like I can't do it. I failed, blah, blah, blah. And for maybe the next 20 minutes, we just sat and we talked about what a challenge is and what challenges look like and why they're so important in life. And what I realized is, you know, his whole life, he's been told, you have autism, it's challenging. You have autism, this is hard for you you know, you have autism, your life's going to be difficult and school's going to be difficult and maybe you'll never get a job. And for him to come into a climbing gym and us say, hey, this is a challenge, like welcome it into your life, like embrace it, push through it, like let's keep going. Challenges are positive, they're fun. I think it was just, it was a huge moment for him. And we told his dad about it after. We're like, hey, he had a rough day. We, you know, we hit some walls, literally, and, (laughs) you know, whatever, but... And his dad just kind of teared up and he's like, I don't ever think that he has been told that a challenge is good. And so if you can take a kid whose whole life is going to be really hard and teach him to view those as time to invest in himself, like what a great, what a great way to build development and resiliency. Yeah, totally. Mm -hmm. Very cool. Yeah. And so kids on the autism spectrum, they struggle a lot because, you know, they're not not really considered adaptive climbers, which is kind of like a loose term anyway. And a lot of them can't be involved in, you know, regular sports, whatever that means. And so they end up in this middle ground. You know, a lot of them have severe social deficits and they're not comfortable there and they might have anxiety and it's just challenging them for them to navigate sports. And so they kind of fall in this world of not really having any kind of physical outlet. And so, you know, this foundation really is here to step in and say, hey, we need to create a space for these kids to thrive in whatever kind of way they need. And with autism, you know, it's actually autism spectrum disorder. And so it can be anything from, you know, someone who's nonverbal to someone who's very verbal, but they might have deficits cognitively or socially or, you know, all different things. And so it's challenging to find a space where they can all fit into and something that they can all do and they can all thrive and enjoy. But Mesa has been great because they have been running an autism program for two years underneath their adaptive climbing umbrella. And so we are trying to slowly create better spaces for them and more access to sports. And we're trying to do our first autism climbing day outdoors. So it all just has to be a community effort. You know, it's a combination between myself as a coach, Maestrom as a facility, the therapists who come in, the neurologists we work with to support this this movement for the autistic kiddos. It's also about getting the facilities themselves to start their own programs. Oh my goodness, yeah. We rely fully on the facility to support it, you know, and it's and the members too. I mean, when you have a kid with autism who's up on the wall and might be crying for a reason that's you know, not because he's afraid or wants to come down, but he's just having emotions and, you know, it draws a scene, right? Like there's this kid who's screaming, but 
That's just how he is. It's how he expresses himself. You, we want members to realize that that's just how this person is. And we don't want to draw attention to them. And we don't want to like, you know, mock them, which still happens in plenty of places or make fun of them or give them nasty looks. And what's great about the San Diego climbing community is they're so familiar with this and they're so used to seeing people who are different in the gym and, you know, to them, it's just another climber. Yeah. Climbing is a very uplifting sport. Everybody wants to do a good job. Everybody wants everybody else to do a good job. It's not really a a competition. Yeah. And I think that's just one of the biggest reasons why everyone can belong in climbing. Just a couple weeks ago, I had a kid with autism. He's 14. He's nonverbal, but he shouts and that's how he expresses himself. And if you don't know, his shouting could be a sign of distress or fear. I don't know anything negative, but to him, that's how he expresses happiness. And so we had a member in the gym come over and be like, oh, do you want me to belay you and you can go get him? And I was like, oh no, he's happy. Like that's the sound he makes when he's happy. And then So that member started clapping and cheering him on. And then two other people came over and were like, hey, like, good job. Way to crush. And then he came down and got high fives. And to him, that made his day. Like, that was probably the highlight of his month, honestly, that someone was like, hey, you belong here, you know? Because I think these families a lot of the times are saying like, oh, I don't know about that. Like, try this place or try that place. And they're kind of getting pushed around. But to have a community step up and be like, hey, you this is your spot. Yeah. I think that a lot of individuals are afraid to interact with people with disabilities because they don't know what to say or they don't know how to act or what's appropriate. And, um, I'm even guilty of that sometimes because I don't know. So I'm a little pensive around this new thing for me. (laughs) Yeah. You know, we hear so much of people being offended because this person said that and this person said this. And I think when you're a kind and genuine person, you really do fear offending someone because it's not your intention. And, you know, people are very afraid of coming off as an elitist or saying something they shouldn't. And so they don't say anything at all. And I think that's one of the worst places to end up is just being afraid to reach out. And so, you know, I would encourage people if you see an adoptive climber, instead of being afraid of offending them or being afraid to speak out, just say like, hey, you want to belay? Do you need another climbing partner? You know, and just saying like, hey, I've never met an adaptive climber, but I'm stoked to climb with you today. Whatever. You know, just making that first step. And listen to the Hazelcast. And listen to the Hazelcast. Because we're going to have a bunch of really rad people on the show. And they're going to tell us all about their awesome stories. And we're going to talk to some people who are involved in athletic programs and found other foundations. And they've all got some really amazing stories. So you talked a little bit about uh, the Flash Foxy event in Bishop. What uh, other programs is the foundation going to be working on? So we got in contact with the school down in Mexico, right outside Ensenada. And I'm hoping to put on a week-long summer dance leadership camp for the girls from that school. And so this kind of dates back to my own dance career and trying to move it forward. But, you know, a couple summers I would do these dance intensives where you go and you learn about dance and you know, it's just a great time to bond and make friends, but also be active. And, but the thing with that is they're like hundreds, if not thousands of dollars, like it's astronomical what you can pay. So we're hoping to put on a free summer dance camp for the girls of this school and teach them about dance and, you know, hopefully do some leadership skills and work with them down there and 
kind of see where it takes off because Mexico has a really interesting dance culture. Um, it's I don't think ballet is very common down there, but they have some really cool traditional dance. So hoping to kind of blend that in with my background and see what can come of it. Yeah, that's uh, another point that I wanted to talk about is uh, access for athletics. So there's a lot of countries out there that kids, uh, girls particularly, don't have access to sports. So you're going to be going to Albania, I believe. Kuwait. Kuwait. Yeah, going to Kuwait in mid-March. We're working with a girls' school there. And so for some background in Kuwait, um, I feel like people get this preconceived notion that if it's in the Middle East, it's been blown up by the U.S., (laughs) which is was actually my first notion of Kuwait also. But Kuwait is actually the richest Gulf country. And so they're very, uh, you know, westernized, if you will. They have shopping malls and restaurants and it's just like American culture kind of structurally. But socially, it's very conservative. And so the schools are still separated by genders. So there's boys schools and girls schools. And uh, right now, there's no girls schools who have sports teams like not a single one in the entire country. And so in March, I'm going to be going there to talk to one particular school about, you know, kind of my history with sports and why I think women should be involved in sports and kind of going to give some, just talk with them and see, you know, why don't you want to do sports? Like what's stopping you? And then we're also actually going to be building the first female soccer field. So we're going to give these girls a field that you know, they're allowed to play on and host games on and hopefully get other schools involved to use it and just give them a space to start exploring sports. Awesome. So how can people keep track of what we're doing here? So I would definitely say sign up for our newsletter at hazelfoundation.org. But thanks to you, we're kind of all over the internet. So you can follow us on Instagram at the Hazel Foundation and Facebook. And our website has all of our current ongoing projects and some blog reports reports from myself and some other climbers and this podcast will be on there so stay tuned stay tuned thanks guys oh.